Hi there, this is Omar Crook, host of Living with a Genius. I want to personally thank you for your financial support. Your donation helps keep this show chugging right along, and I truly couldn't do it without you. As always, thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time. Here's Living with a Genius for November 25th, 2020. The last log entry for the brigantine Mary Celeste was made on this day in 1872. A month earlier, on October 20th, Captain Benjamin Briggs arrived at Pier 50 on the East River in New York City to supervise the loading of the Mary Celeste's Italy-bound cargo of 1,701 barrels of denatured alcohol. His wife and baby daughter joined him a week later, and on Sunday, November 3rd, Briggs wrote to his mother to say that he intended to leave on Tuesday, adding that, Our vessel is in beautiful trim, and I hope we shall have a fine passage. Briggs had chosen the crew for his voyage with great care. First mate, Albert G. Richardson, was married to a niece of James H. Winchester, who along with Briggs was co-owner of the Mary Celeste and had sailed under Briggs before. Second mate, Andrew Gilling, aged about 25, was born in New York and was of Danish provenance. The steward, newly married Edward William Head, was signed on with a personal recommendation from Winchester himself. The four general seamen were all Germans from the Frisian Islands, the brothers Volkert and Bos Lorenzen, Arian Martins and Gottlieb Gutschall. A later testimonial described them as peaceable and first-class sailors, and in a letter to his mother shortly before their voyage, Briggs declared himself eminently satisfied with both ship and crew. His wife, Sarah Briggs, informed her mother that the crew appeared to be quietly capable if they continued as they have begun. On Tuesday morning, November 5th, the Mary Celeste left Pier 50 with Briggs, his wife and daughter, and seven crew members. But the weather was uncertain, and Briggs decided to wait it out for better conditions, anchoring the ship just off Staten Island, where Sarah used the delay to send a final letter to her mother-in-law. Tell Arthur, she wrote, I make great dependence on the letters I shall get from him, and will try to remember anything that happens on the voyage, which he would be pleased to hear. The weather eased two days later, and on November 7th, the Mary Celeste left the harbor and entered the Atlantic. At about 1 p.m. on Wednesday, December 4th of 1872, Captain David Morehouse, on his Canadian brig, the Dei Grazia, came on deck as his helmsman reported a vessel about six miles off their bow, listing unsteadily towards them and the ship's erratic movements and the odd set of her sails led Morehouse to suspect that something was terribly wrong. As the vessel drew close, he could see nobody on deck, and he received no reply to his signals. He sent first mate Oliver DeVoe and second mate John Wright in a skiff to investigate. On approach, the pair established that this was the Mary Celeste, having shared port in New York a month earlier. They then climbed aboard, only to find the ship deserted. Most of the rigging was damaged, with ropes hanging loosely over the sides. Sails were partly set and in poor condition, and some were missing altogether. The main hatch cover was secure, 
but the fore and aft hatches were open, with their covers laying on the deck nearby. The ship's single lifeboat was a small yawl that had apparently been stowed across the main hatch, but it was missing, along with the binnacle housing the ship's compass, which had shifted from its place with its glass cover broken. Going below deck, the pair discovered about three and a half feet of water in the hold, a significant but not alarming amount for a ship her size, and on the deck laid a makeshift sounding rod, a device for measuring the amount of water down below. They found the ship's daily log in the mate's cabin, and its final entry was dated 8 a.m. November 25th, just nine days earlier. A typical navigational entry was all that had been jotted down, putting Mary Celeste's position off Santa Maria Island in the Azores, nearly 400 nautical miles from the point where the Dei Grazia found her adrift. DeVoe saw that the cabin interiors were wet and untidy from water that had entered through doorways and skylights, but were otherwise in fine order. He found personal items scattered about Briggs' cabin, including a valuable sword sheathed under the bed, but most of the ship's papers were missing, along with the captain's navigational instruments. Galley equipment was neatly stowed away, there was no food prepared or under preparation, and there were months' worth of provisions in the stores. There were no obvious signs of fire or violence, and all evidence indicated an orderly departure from the ship by means of the missing lifeboat. DeVoe and Wright returned to report their findings to Morehouse, who then decided to bring the derelict ship into Gibraltar, 600 nautical miles away, to collect his share of the salvage value. But the question remains, why was a perfectly seaworthy ship abandoned and set adrift? There were six months of food and water aboard. The crew's belongings were stowed away. A captain would only abandon ship in the direst circumstances, and the circumstances certainly didn't seem dire. Some believed that the crew had drunk the alcohol and mutinied, but there was no sign of violence. Some said the ship must have been raided by pirates, but no valuables were missing. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle penned a short story on the subject detailing an ex-slave capturing the ship, but again, no signs of struggle or violence of any kind. Sea monsters and water spouts were as plausible an explanation and were also proposed. Not even foul play offered a reasonable explanation. When the two ships arrived in Gibraltar, the Dei Grazia submitted its salvage claim. The Admiralty Court at first suspected foul play, but after a three-month investigation, they were unable to find any evidence. The crew of the Dei Grazia eventually received their reward. It was, however, only one-sixth of the total $46,000 value of the Mary Celeste. Apparently, the authorities weren't totally convinced of their innocence. In 2002, documentarian Anne McGregor began to investigate, hoping to get to the bottom of the mystery. Using various modern methods, she reconstructed the drift of the ghost ship and deduced that the captain had a faulty chronometer and was hopelessly off course, putting the Mary Celeste 120 nautical miles west of where it should have been. The captain surely expected to sight land three days earlier than he did. 
He then might have changed course towards Santa Maria Island in the Azores, looking for shelter from relentless weather. But even all of this won't make a captain abandon ship. McGregor also learned that the ship had been recently refitted, and that coal dust and debris from the refitting had likely clogged the bilge pumps. And with the pumps not working, Captain Briggs of the Mary Celeste may have decided that, with the ship off course, yet at least near some kind of land, the crew ought to cut their losses and simply try to save themselves by abandoning ship and heading for land. McGregor's theory is by no means universally accepted or definitively provable, but it at least lines up with the evidence in a way that other theories do not. Finally, some 148 years after the crew's eerie vanishing, the mystery of the Mary Celeste has yet to be solved. I learned something new today, and I hope you did too. Thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time.